Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Asking for a Friend. This week, we're dealing with a really tough topic, speaking to children about illness and death. So to help us navigate conversations around death and illness, I've invited Anna Lyons, an end-of-life doula whose company, Life, Death, Whatever, supports people who are dying, their family and friends, and sometimes people experiencing bereavement. We're also joined by her co-founder, Louise Winter, who is a progressive funeral director and the creator of Poetic Endings. Now, they've come together to write a book, We All Know How This Ends, and they're here with me today in the studio. Hello. 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 How are you both? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much for having us. Not at all. How did you both end up doing what you're doing to start with? Because obviously it's your work is vital. We all know that death is a subject that we can't get away from. Death surrounds us all the time. But to actually find yourself working in those areas and doing what you do, you know, what led you there? My best friend died when I was 17 and it was really, really unexpected. And pretty much from that moment, I decided that I wanted to work with people at the end of their lives to try to make it a bit nicer. His death was really difficult. And I think we were all 17 year old kids really ill prepared. No one, it didn't feel like anyone was prepared, even the adults. And yeah, that was, I just decided that's what I wanted to do. What about you? Well, I'd never even been to a funeral until I was 26. My my granddad died. I'd been sheltered from funerals my whole life. People in my life definitely died, but my parents didn't encourage us to talk about it or acknowledge it or attend the funeral. So when my granddad died, that was the first funeral I had the opportunity to go to. And I had a very different career before. You know, people often say, oh, is this the family line of business? Did you, did you inherit the funeral home? Like, I wish. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, I really didn't. And seeing my granddad's funeral, I just thought, oh, this is so important. And I think the way we're doing death and having funerals as a society is not necessarily serving us. It was quite templated. It lasted 20 minutes. It was at the local crematorium mm -hmm. in the north of England. And it was... Looking back, I've, my relationship has changed with it over the years, but it was a good funeral for my granddad, but it wouldn't translate to everyone. And I felt like that was the template of funerals that everyone was going to end up with. And I just became absolutely fascinated by funerals, why we have them, how they serve us, and ended up leaving my career and becoming a funeral director with my own funeral home. <laughs> I mean, that's quite the leap, isn't it? I mean, we, we're all pretty rubbish, at talking about death. And I don't know whether that's a British thing. 
and I know people, so I work a lot with um, for the charity and, and people who have got secondary cancer and they won't even have the death conversation. They won't talk about the funeral. It's almost like people are, they can sometimes feel like they're inviting it in by even acknowledging that it's a thing that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we say a lot that you're not just by talking about it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I mean, it will happen. We are all going to die. Yeah. One day, every single one of us is going to die. Yeah. But actually having the conversation about death and dying while you're well is so much easier than mm. having it when you're unwell. And I think that's the fundamental error that we make. So... Chris of Copperfield was hugely fundamental in getting PSHE made mandatory. Yep. Unfortunately, it's still just for sex and relationships. Mm -hmm. And what we're hoping is that it will open up and sort of take in death, dying, illness, grief as well, because... You know, it's so important to talk about these things. And I think if we get kids talking about about it normally as part of just everyday conversation, they won't find it so difficult as adults. Mm. Kids are fascinated by it, absolutely fascinated, unless they've had an experience of it. Yeah. But generally, I think they're really, really fascinated. Well, how do you go about, you know, talking to kids about death in the first instance? Because I think it is something that surrounds us so it's something that we can't shy away from but when they do start talking about death how do you sort of lean into that and have a conversation I think it's really important for you to have a conversation even if it's just with yourself to mm -hmm. think about what death means to you for you to understand what you might be projecting onto kids when you're talking to them because yeah. kids pick up on how you feel about something so even if you don't directly say I can't cope with death. The way that you talk about it, they will know actually what you're saying is I can't really cope. The yeah. way that you react to their questions will give them as much information as the words that you say. I worked with a family only this week. Beloved nanny had died. She was in her 90s. And they had an incredible family, lots of great-grandchildren and grandchildren, and they all wanted to come and say goodbye. The parents were nervous because they were bringing their children along and they didn't want to project their own fears of seeing someone after they've died. And they talked to me about what that might be like and how to answer their questions. And the main thing I advised was not to say that she was sleeping, mm -hmm. to say that they were coming to see Nanny. Nanny had died in hospital and they were going to be seeing her dead form. I took them in to the Chapel of Rest. They'd made little cards to put with her and drawn a picture and various things that they wanted to be with her and then we just created a safe space where they could ask questions and I was in there they knew that I was the funeral director they knew what my role was that I'd been taking care of nanny since she died and they they sort of touched her and I realized that she was cold and asked why she was cold and the main question they had was why does she look so different and we talked about how the body changes after someone has died how the muscles relax how all the blood pulls down to the bottom of the body because she's lying down, mm -hmm. gravity. And they were fascinated. And they listened and they said, yeah, death is weird. Yeah, can we go and get cake now? <laughs> and that was that. And, and hopefully for those children, that will be an experience, a positive experience of quite a difficult situation, which they will take into their later lives. So when someone else dies and they're significantly impacted, they will have a different relationship with it. They won't need to shy away from it.
So we always begin our Asking for a Friend episodes by asking our guests to tell us the three questions they get asked about the most. From you two, I want you to talk about the questions that are surrounding talking to children about death and illness. So when it comes to that, what are the, what are the questions that, get, that you get asked the most? I think the first one is around where the children can come to the funeral. Right. Particularly when a parent has died and the other parent is responsible for arranging the funeral, they're often in a tricky dynamic. There might be other members of the family who are saying, no, children cannot attend funerals, they must not be there, you must get childcare. And other people are saying, no, you must include them. And trying to include the children whilst also giving space to their own grief can be quite challenging as well. And it all depends on the circumstances, it's different for everyone. But in general... Whenever anyone asks that question, we talk it through and the answer is usually yes, absolutely. It's really can be really healthy and really cathartic to have children at funerals. What's fascinating about that is that we talk about parenting and all the guilt and judgment that's, you know, surrounding it. And even at a funeral, even in death, there's so much guilt and judgment surrounding it. So much judgment. It's we worked with a family together. And the children were very young and they said to their mum after their father died, we want to see him, we want to spend time with him after he's died. And everybody said to her, that's absolutely, completely the wrong thing, you mustn't do that, that's awful. And she said, no, this is, they've asked me, it obviously really matters to them, it's really, really important to them, I want to honour their grief. And I want to let them say their, their goodbyes the way that they want to do it. And her mum really disagreed, but came along to support her, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. And she sat in the kitchen and she wouldn't move from the kitchen, but she wanted to show that she was there. And afterwards, when she saw the impact that it had had on the kids and how special it had been, how beautiful it had been. She she came in and said goodbye as well. And she said, I'm so proud of my daughter for listening to her children and, really? and listening to what they wanted and not listening to everyone else's judgment about what it would do to them, what it would mean for them. We don't trust kids enough. We have to trust them to know what's right for them. And she said something really amazing about how she knew that they needed to see that their daddy had died with their own eyes so they could believe it. Yeah, it was It was a really special day, wasn't it? It was a really beautiful and day. And it was also quite a normal day because, yes, they were going to see their daddy who was in a coffin, but they they did all the normal things they that they would do with him. I think they baked, baked cake for him. Yeah, we, picked, we picked flowers in the garden. They put um, temporary tattoos on his arms, which <laughs> he never would have allowed while he was alive. And they really went to town. <laughs> they wrote beautiful letters to him and did drawings. And then we spent the whole day with them going in and out mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, when they... We had lunch <laughs> while he was next door. And then they sang him the song that he used to sing them every night at bedtime. And, and we filmed it so that they always had that. Mm. What else do you get asked? What should I tell my children about my illness? Mm. How should I talk to them about it? That's something that people ask me a lot. So I tend to work a lot with young adults and lots of them have very young children and they they want to know what to say they don't want to frighten their children but they also don't want to hide it from them when you're very unwell for a long time 
very difficult to hide and I think really important not to. But also it can be really shocking for children if you pretend that you're fine and then all of a sudden someone's coming into a room to tell you that your mum or dad has died or your Mm -hmm. sibling has died. And within that as well, the physical changes of the parent. So even if they don't die, the fact that they... They look different. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think acknowledging that, because kids notice everything. If I paint my nails a different colour, my kids are like, why did you paint your nails that colour? <laughs> you know, they notice everything about you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really important to acknowledge it. But I think we do them a massive disservice by not being honest with them. And I think, you know, brushing it off as, oh, yeah, I've just got this or... It's so important to tell them what's going on in an, in an age-appropriate way. You know, there's no point taking them into the consultant's room and yeah. having them listen to all the medical jargon. But finding a, a way to explain it to them, you know, mummy's got cancer, the cancer's here, this is what the cancer's doing, this is what we're doing to try to get better. And then you keep talking to them. Mm-hmm. throughout you don't again you don't just have one conversation and it's harrowing it's really hard yeah. it's not easy no no one's suggesting it is easy but it is really important and how somebody dies really impacts how people grieve and if you can live out your life while you're unwell and have really healthy, open, honest conversations with your kids, it will really help them live a really good life after you've died. Uh, My three children are very different in how they seem to approach death at the moment, and I know it's something that's going to always change. But my three and my six-year-old seem very matter-of-fact about it. Although this morning, actually, so Max had been looking after some worms in the garden. He'd, He'd found a bunch, put them in a silver bowl, and left them out in the sunshine. Didn't end well. And then this morning he said, Mummy, can I fix my worms? I thought, well, no, you can't. Like, you know, my, no, my worms are dead. Can I fix them? Like, no, you can't. They're, they're, you know, but it's interesting because my head, they're, they're, they're both so factual about dead. You know, we've had a frog in the garden that died dead. Where, you know, so they're, they're, it was interesting that he suddenly went to, no, but can I reverse it? Whereas Buzz is very emotional about death. And it's interesting when we were talking earlier about talking about it in schools because they had a session that was on bereavement and grief and death. And the teacher came out and said to us, just so you know, we've we've had this conversation, Buzz got a little bit emotional. And we turned to Buzz and he was like, I'm not, I can't talk about it yet. But the week before, we had watched Ghostbusters, the latest Ghostbusters movie, where the granddad has died and his ghost is there. And at the end of the film, it says, for Harold. And Buzz realised that the actor who played that part, had actually died. So it was all used, all created using previous footage of the actor. And he was distraught that night. But then in that talk about bereavement, his bereavement was for that actor, that part. You know, and it, it, but it hit him so heavily in a way that I think even the teacher was a bit like, I don't know how to... How to continue? I don't know how to have this conversation. Yeah, well, I think he understands the permanence of yeah. death, and when you understand the permanence of it, it can be really shocking. What do you mean they're not coming back? Mm. How this is part of my life? How how are they not coming back? Why aren't they coming? Does that mean they don't want to come back? Kids can feel like people have gone away, and they're not coming back because they don't want to. Yeah, they don't want to spend time with them anymore. They've they're done with them. Mm. 
kids blame themselves often if you don't talk to them enough about what's going on. They And they think, did I do something wrong? Is that why mummy's got sick? They think that because mummy got sick, everyone's going to get sick and yeah. die. And then, of course, that conversation leads to other parents saying, I'll never leave you, I'll never die. Mm. But they can't do that because no. they will. Yeah. <laughs> they will die. Well, another another time, same child, we were in his bed and I was, for some reason, in the nook of his arm rather than the other way around. And I said, oh, Buzz, this is how we'll lie when you're a big man and I'm a little old lady. And he suddenly bawled his eyes out and he said, I don't want you to die. And I thought, of course, because in every film that you've seen, a little old lady, she dies. Mm. You know, uh, but again, I think it is. It's him getting to grips with the fact that this is final, actually, when you when you get to that part. What else do you get asked a lot of? I get asked a lot about whether children's grieving is normal, the way that they're reacting and responding. Children don't show grief in the way that adults do. They can also be very easily distracted, so they can be devastated, lying on the floor, screaming one minute, and then they see a toy that they like or they're distracted by something and they seem absolutely fine. Grief can often show in anger and what schools will term as challenging behaviour. Mm-hmm. They can feel really cross. It's very, very hard when... So the, the statistics show that there's one child in every classroom in the UK who has had a significant bereavement. And when you are that kid in the class and you see kids being dropped off by their mums and your mum's died, that you can feel pretty pissed off that that's not your experience anymore. And so often at school, grief can show up as anger. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you think there's a thing where with grief people allocate a certain amount of time? Not you know, with kids, it's something that surely it they, they're gonna keep coming back to at a different age. Well, it's all it's continuous. They will grieve forever, yeah. but they'll grieve differently. Yeah. So if you if you're a child and your parent dies, say for example, your mother dies, you will grieve in that moment for the woman that you had, that you knew, that did all of those things for you. But as you get older, you will grieve for the woman that you didn't get to have. And then when you start to have children of your own, you grieve because you don't have the grandmother that you knew that your mother could be. Mm -hmm. 
And so it remains with you your whole life, but it changes and it evolves in, in the way that we change and evolve. Any other questions that you get asked a lot? Yeah, I think, I think one that comes up a lot is, you know, someone I know is grieving. How do I best support them? I don't know what to say to them. The dynamic with them has changed. You know, what, what can I do? It's been a really good example of this recently. We often hear about someone whose partner has died, for example, and when they leave their house, everyone's avoiding them. They see people dashing down the supermarket aisle to not have to speak to them or crossing the road. And it's really tricky to know what to say to someone. And people can end up feeling really unsupported and lonely and completely isolated in their grief if we do that. But equally, having been the person who's trying to support someone, particularly if I don't know them very well, mm -hmm. but want to acknowledge something, it's really tricky. And we've lost the, the dynamic of or the structure that religion can give us. There aren't sort of set phrases that we can fall back on. And we have to sort of take a reading of, OK, where are they? What, what do they need to hear? Do they need me to say, you know, I loved seeing your dad on the street every single day. Mm. He was such a big part of this community. We all loved him. He always had such brilliant stories. I will really miss him. And I, I really will be thinking of you on the day of the funeral. Or is that absolutely insufferable and unbearable for that particular person? And... And actually, they would prefer it if we cross the roads. It's really difficult to know. But I think with closer friendships, what we always say is to be really honest and mm. say, I really don't know what to say to you. What you're going through is really awful. It's really shit. And and rather than giving sort of vague promises of or sort of vague statements of, oh, if there's anything you need, just let me know. Be like, what do you need? Do you want me to leave you alone? Do you want me to recommend a great Netflix series for mm -hmm. you? Do you or do you want me to turn up with some popcorn and we'll watch girl movies for the next, you know, four hours? What do you need from me? Yeah. And how can I make that? How can I best support you? People really, really want to know that their person who's died mattered. Well, it's something that we've covered a few times on the podcast with baby loss. You know, talking about talking about them, hearing their names. Writing their name in a card. Louise and I have done a lot of work with babies who've died and people acknowledging that that baby lived mm -hmm. is the single most important thing that you can do. Mm. And to see parents' faces light up if we just say, what was the meaning behind the name Rosie? Why did you call her Rosie? And then people tell you the stories and they're dying to tell you all these things and to acknowledge all of this stuff and it's often with their own friendship groups completely ignored no one is no one dares to say anything mm. they don't know what to say or how to say it i can remember years ago having uh, having a conversation with l Wright. we were at a tommy's event and it's uh, just before she came on the podcast actually so that was series two so five years ago six, uh, four years ago and her just saying how when you say that you've you, you're a mum but that your baby has died the conversation ends. Whereas if it was a grandparent, the conversation would carry on. Everyone would be fine. Grandparents die. Whereas with a baby, she said the conversation ends and you can see they can't wait to get out of that conversation. There's also this really, it's really uncomfortable. It's really difficult that when you've had a baby and the baby's died, when you have another child, people have this idea that that child replaces mm. the one that's died. Um, and they absolutely don't 
ever replace them in any way, shape or form. And just because you have or you're lucky enough, but some people aren't lucky enough to have another child, but just because you, you do have another child, it doesn't ever stop the grief for your yeah. child who's died. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, so we posted that we were having this conversation today on our Happy Mum, Happy Baby socials. And the amount of questions that we got in for you guys was unreal. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So it is a conversation that people want to have and they want to... They just don't know how. They just don't know how. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into some of our questions. We'll see how many we get in. But first of all, how do you make kids not scared of death? By you not being scared. Kids aren't scared of death. They're not. It's just another subject for them. It's just another word. When kids are learning how to read and speak, death is just another word. It's what we put onto that word. It's like swear words. Mm -hmm. Swear words are only swear words because we tell kids that they are. Yeah. We tell them they're rude, so they become rude. Death is not a scary word to a child. It's scary when we project fear onto it. Are there different strategies around talking about pets and humans when it comes to death? Never been asked that question before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good. We love to keep things fresh. That's a really, really <laughs> tricky one. And actually a very pertinent one we were discussing on the way here. Um, the Forest Hill community where I'm based, there was a very famous cat who ruled, ruled the street. He's a Bengal called Salem and he died yesterday. Mm. The community, including everyone who works at the funeral home and myself, absolutely distraught and we've got a poster outside I've been going outside and bursting into tears because people have been sharing their memories of Salem we've been sending flowers to his family it's all over Instagram because everyone knew and loved him he was the friendliest cat he used to come to the coffee shop with me every day Aww. he everyone knew him he was such a flirt <laughs> he had one, a, of those cats. <laughs> one of those cats he had several breakfasts a day at all the different <laughs> homes he frequented and everyone is devastated and it really and yesterday everything was in such sharp focus because it was such grief and I was having quite a tricky time with my own work because we're working with people whose person has died and yet my team were absolutely floored by Salem. His, we feed him every day, so his bowl is in the kitchen and he comes and he's all over our Instagram all the time. He has his afternoon nap on our sofa. And we were floored and we were having to show up to other people whose people, pe person had died. And I think what I've learned over the years, because some people can be very much, oh, it's just a, it's just a cat. But they're it's not just pet a dog. people as well. They're, they're not, not pet if you, people. If that's your approach to it, you, you, you haven't had a pet. That, that is relied on you every day and that you've given love to and they've given love to you. Yeah. It's about not diminishing anyone's feelings. No. Mm. Next question. How do I answer when my five-year-old says she doesn't want me to die regularly? Honestly, mm. <laughs> openly. My kids say that quite frequently. I was quite unwell and so it probably comes up more than it would but also kids do they reach a point where they'll have night terrors they have nightmares about their parents dying because they don't have capabilities of looking after themselves so mm. it's a very normal worry for a child and the thing that I say to my kids is I don't want to die either I will die one day I'm hoping that will be when I'm very old when I've got to watch you grow up Sometimes they're satisfied with that. They know that if I die, their big sister will be their guardian. And so I'm on my own with them mm -hmm. and she will look after them. She's Since she was 18, that was the case. So when they're not happy with, I don't want to die either yet, 
but I will one day. Mm. We talk about who's going to look after them, how financially they're going to be supported because we've had to sort that out yeah. as well. So it's it's just about answering it really honestly and they will again it's they they self-regulate so when they've heard enough when they feel satisfied they'll stop but you should never ever promise a child that you're not going to die we have no idea what's going to happen today i mean you know look what happened today everyone got out of the cab including the driver <laughs> and left the handbrake off and i was careering <laughs> down in the car i might not have come home yeah. and if i've promised my children that I'm not going to die, how is that going to be for them? I not only have I lied to them, I've not come back, I've not done anything. Their relationship, their grief for me in that massive lie will be so different than if they have a working knowledge that my life is finite. We don't believe in heaven, so how do I explain to my kids that you cease to exist? I once was supporting a family and and the nan was very religious, very devout. And we were standing at the back of the hearse. The granddad had died. And she was telling the grand her grandchildren that granddad had gained his angel wings and inside the coffin his wings were growing. And after the funeral, he would fly out and go to heaven. That's so terrifying. Can you imagine thinking? Well, she sort of disappeared to go and look at some flowers or something. And the one of the children turned to me and said... This doesn't make any sense. He's nailed into that box. <laughs> how, and also, how can he be growing wings? It's tiny. <laughs> but we just have to go along with it. Is that what he says? We just have to let that think. That's amazing, though, that <laughs> we're going to go along with what the grown-ups have said because it makes the grown-ups feel better yeah. about this situation. Kids are so clever. They're not stupid. Don't treat them like they're stupid. How often should I revisit the conversation around death as they get older? If it's just normal, everyday conversation, I think in my house, we probably talk about it probably a bit more often, <laughs> if I'm really honest. Yeah. It's such a difficult question. I think we talk about it over dinner. Right. It's normally so every day we all sit around the table and we have dinner together and I ask them to tell me one good thing about their day, one bad thing about their day. And very often the conversation leads to something, somebody being unwell or not every day, but that's how it normally comes up in our house. I think in the way that you wouldn't do sex education with your kids every week, maybe judge it on that same kind of thing. But mm. also as they change, you know, you change books, don't you? You read different books to your kids the yeah. older they get. You sort of you start off with picture books and then you get to chapter books. I think each time it feels like they're changing, like reaching a milestone or when something happens like the worms, that's mm -hmm. a perfect, a perfect way to introduce it. I wouldn't force it because yeah. I think that's really important, but just allow it in, be open to it. And then when something presents itself, explore it. Don't shut it down. If, mm -hmm. if they bring it up in conversation, don't shut them down. Listen to them. So one person has asked, how can I talk about the people who have died and keep their memory alive? And I was actually talking to a friend of mine on the school run today and she was saying about her, her mum who passed away quite a, while, quite a while ago and she's a, such a huge part of Alex's life. And she was saying how when it comes to her kids, anytime they see a feather, 
they say, well, that's Nanny in the Sky. You know, so that's that's them keeping her memory alive and and having an access point to talk about her as well. How do you think people should be keeping, or what in what ways can people keep mem- memories alive? Food is a really good one. Cooking something that they cooked or cooking their favourite meal. Yeah. And that's really, it's a really powerful one. Food smells and tastes really trigger memory. Mm. Stories, having a photograph, I think mm. is really lovely. Just talking about them, allowing them to be in the present, you know, referring back to them. I think kids love hearing stories about your ancestors it feels really important because it's so much a part of who they are as well Mm. and some of the people that we work with put quite established rituals in place so it would be every year on the the anniversary of their mum's death they will cook her favorite spaghetti bolognese they come together as a family they they use her favorite crockery they get her favorite flowers and they do that absolutely without fail every single year so I think there are different ways and it can be smaller ways it can be you know going a different way home because dad always drove that way and, mm. you know, he loved to go the scenic route and we're going to go the scenic route and dad would be smiling down on us and, or not, if heaven doesn't <laughs> exist, but <laughs> dad would approve kind of thing. There are different subtle ways that don't have to be this big alienating thing of, oh, let's all sit down and have this formal conversation and it has to be really awkward and yeah. really horrifying. Um, someone else has asked, how do I talk about cremation and not make it scary? Again, it's only scary because you're saying it's scary. Mm-hmm. Cremation is just burning. It's, you know, we burn lots of things to get rid of it. We sit and have, we have open fires in our house. It's it's the act of burning something. If we come to the conversation thinking it's scary, mm-hmm. we will project that onto it. There are books that just talk about it matter-of-factly what it is. People assume that after you cremate somebody, they turn to ash. That's not what happens. The the remnants of what's left, the bones are all gathered together and they're put into something called a cremulator and that actually grinds everything to ash. Ah. So it's not the cremation process. And I think... You know, we've talked about it earlier that kids find things fascinating. Mm -hmm. If you come to it from a place of fear, you are going to project that fear onto them in the same way that you talk to them about how to bake a cake, how to play football, how to do an ordinary task. Talk to them about cremation as an ordinary task without any feeling or upset on it and and they will just see it as that someone's asked how do we get schools to talk about death more i know this is something that you want to do <laughs> you're trying it's really tricky we need to put it into the curriculum it mm. needs to be part of pshe i think it's it's a really unfair ask for teachers to be told you've now got to talk about this without any support because it does bring stuff up there are kids who've lost parents or siblings or grandparents or friends even so I think we need to put in support and we need to put in we need to maybe employ teachers specifically for PSHE so that it's their subject so that they do have the resources to deal with the fallout if there is one I've got a couple of questions from children Mm. one is uh, talking about the resurrection in school, why can't we do that that with other people? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's why you have to be really honest. Because 
well, why hasn't mummy come back? If this bloke came back, why hasn't mummy come back? Mm -hmm. And, And then that's, did she not love me enough? Did I do something wrong? That's where all of that stems from. It's it's that's why honesty and using the proper language, not using euphemisms, is mm. so important. When people have died, they can't come back. One more along the same lines, actually. If they're in the sky, can I visit by helicopter? <laughs> if they were in the sky, yes, yes, you could, but they're not. I think I, I asked this question to my mum. Actually, we went on holiday <laughs> really? when I was a child, and um, apparently I said to her. Mm, we went out to the clouds and I didn't see heaven. Where were where were all the people that had died? <laughs> so at the end of every episode, I ask you to finish three sentences. The first one is, being a parent means... So I asked my kids this. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I read it, I, I thought, I'm going to ask them what it means. And um, I wrote it down because <laughs> it was quite sweet. I only asked two of them. The other one wasn't in the mood to chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad it's not just my kids who are like that. No. <laughs> She's just moved out. She said it's not It's not about actually physically being yeah. a parent. She said it's about being there, being present, unconditional love, loving and caring and making the child, her, feel loved and cared for. Because she said words don't mean very much. Yeah. What matters is feeling it. And my middle daughter said that she felt it was about seeing her. She said that I see her in a way that other people don't. She said that I I see how she feels and how she thinks, whereas other people just see her face. Mm. Very nice. And I, I agree with Scout. There are different ways of showing up in a sort of parental role throughout life, yeah. which aren't always as straightforward as being a mum or, or being a dad. And I really see that in the work that I do with mm. with funerals. Not everyone has a family that they want to be involved in. Not everyone has you know, a sort of perfect mother and a really secure attachment with them. For lots of people, it's chosen family and yeah. showing up for people in, in beautiful, incredible ways, even though they're not related by blood. Yeah. Now, this one that you have to finish is, if I could tell you one thing, it would be? Oh, for me, it would be, this could be the last time. When I first started working with funerals, that was so apparent. Life just seemed to be so fleeting. One minute it was there, and the next minute I saw how it could just, everything could change. For me, it was that it goes really quickly, and it feels really important to cherish it. And I wish someone had told me I had my eldest daughter when I was far too young. I can't believe when she's walking towards me that this actual human woman with <laughs> boobs <laughs> is is mine and I feel like because because I didn't realize how quickly it would go I didn't cherish it in the way that I wished I had all of those tiny moments because some of it is really shit and really thing, hard it's really hard to cherish oh God, it when... it's so when you're knackered yes and I've I've pretty much been on my own ever since I had kids mm-hmm. and so it's just relentless yeah. and you forget to enjoy the kind of any of it sometimes yeah, you and do. i and i wish someone had told me how quickly it goes because there are there are parts of it that i i think i might have embraced the shit a bit more yeah and finally i'm happy when 
Since I turned 35, I have become obsessed with gardening. (laughs) (laughs) Please will you come and do my garden because I'm really bad at it. (laughs) It just brings me so much joy. And and I think it's a good antidote to all the death that I deal with every day. Gardening is so full of life. Mm. It's so exciting going into the garden in the morning and seeing the new buds. And um, particularly with my colleague Joe, we go, we have a, a garden at our funeral home and we relish getting to go out there and we go on aphid patrol looking for aphids <laughs> and getting so excited when the roses are about to to flourish yeah. and it just is such a wonderful way of being in the world and has really helped my mental health so definitely when it gets time to um, fill my watering can up and um, <laughs> I'm I'm up my watering exactly. <laughs> I love that I love that so much <laughs> I wish gardening made me happy it just makes me sad because everything dies I'm so bad at it this was really hard for me to answer I think I've never been a grown-up without being a mum mm-hmm. I, I basically grew up when I had my daughter and their happiness is really sort of directly correlated to mine and when they're happy I really properly feel happy when they've had a good day it is a good day yeah I think Judy Finnegan um, of Richard and Judy uh, say on the podcast you're only as happy as your unhappiest child yeah absolutely well thank you so much thank you thank you so much for having us yeah it's been really lovely thank you At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.